Let's turn in the Scriptures to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel and chapter 8. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8. We'll be reading verses 8 through 13. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. Let's turn now to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Father, we ask now that You would help us to hear Your Word as it's read and as it's preached, that You would grant us the ears to hear and eyes to see Christ Your Son, that You would send forth Your Holy Spirit and grant faith and salvation and sanctification and a continual looking to Christ to be our help, because He is our help. We plead that You would humble us in our hearing, not allow us to sit in pride and close up our ears with hardness of hearts. But Father, soften hearts and work through Your servant. And give Him the words that must be spoken. That the words would be Your words and not His own. And that we would all hear Your words and not any man's. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8 and verse 5. These are God's words. When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, There came unto him a centurion, beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Those are God's words. So again, you look at verse 1 of chapter 8. Great multitudes are following Christ. We heard last Lord's Day that He is just healed by a touch and by His words spoken. He said, I will... I desire that. I will be thou clean. To the leper, the grotesque appearance of a man who looked dead and yet was living. He was full of leprosy. Healed. So that he looked once again like any one of us. Normal. It wouldn't have looked like he had any disease at all. He was healed. No skin conditions. Nothing. And all at the Word and the touch of Jesus Christ. Shown there to be Jehovah, the Lord. For only the Lord, Jehovah, can heal leprosy as the Scriptures we saw testify. And the leprosy of our souls, the sin so gross and heinous to God... He heals by those who come to Him, 
man, Jesus Christ, in repentance and faith. But now we come to another one who is sick. They have the palsy, it says. They're paralyzed in their body. They're pretty much unable to move. And it comes that this paralyzation comes with a great amount, a huge amount of pain. As you can see, it's described here. They are grievously tormented. And so tormented in their body, in their in his in his in his body with pain. The parallel passage in, in Luke seven says he was ready to die. That's how great the pain was. He was ready to die. And sometimes we have family, we have friends who are near death and they're in such an incredible amount of pain. What do the doctors do? They give them morphine or they give them pain medication to make it better. At least that's what they think happens. But it doesn't really heal the pain. And the pain continues because you can still see them in agony. And the one, our dear ones are grievously tormented. This servant of the centurion was sick with palsy and very near death, ready to die, grievously tormented. And that's the context in which Jesus comes into and enters into Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And a great multitude was following Him. The first point this morning is the centurion's plea. The centurion's plea, verse 5. It says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto Him a centurion, beseeching Him, and saying, Lord, My servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Now if you want to be... We we are often in the the Western world. We're often uh, the most accurate. Try to be the most accurate. Try to be the most detailed. If you want to be the most accurate of what happened here, then you would go to Luke's Gospel. Luke's Luke's Gospel, uh, there we would find that this Roman centurion was very close to the Jews. Very friendly with the Jews. And they liked him. And while most in the Roman Empire and rulers in the Roman Empire hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Romans, the centurion worked with them. And he sent some elders amongst the Jews to Jesus after hearing about what he had preached and done in the chapter 7 and, and then in the first four verses of chapter 8. He, the centurion, who we have in our passage, sent some elders of the Jews to Jesus to speak to him, for him. And he did this because he believed. He believed what he heard. Luke 7 says, And when he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. And so the centurion is the one beseeching. He's the one crying out for help to Jesus in whom he believes. It's not the Jews. It's not the elders of the Jews. He sent. It is the centurion. And so these elders of the Jews served him by speaking on his behalf. His message for Jesus. His pleading. His plea for Jesus. And that's all summarized in Matthew chapter 8 verse 5 saying that the centurion came to Jesus. And this is how he came, Luke 7, the elders he sent of the Jews. He came by the the way of them. But the focus here in Matthew is not to give every detail. The focus is different here. It's, It's less on the details, it's more on the big picture. What's the big picture? The centurion is pleading. Right? That's what we ought to see. If we were in Luke, the point here would be the worthy centurion. Because of how the elders portrayed the centurion as worthy. We'll get to that in a little bit. And so the elders are pleading, or as they bring the word, they give their word to Jesus there in Luke 7. And they're saying, this man, this centurion is worthy He's worthy for you to heal His servant. 
Because this is a friend to the Jews. He even built a synagogue for us, we learn in Luke's Gospel. But here the Lord through Matthew, this is kind of how we learn about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, how they uh, have different focuses, foci. The Lord through Matthew wants to focus only on the centurion's plea. His faith is shown after hearing of Jesus was to come. His faith is is to come and plead before Jesus to heal his servant. Why would the centurion we might we should ask, why would the centurion care so much about his servant? Which we could also call his slave. Why would he care so much about his servant? Because in that time, of course, a centurion can have any servant he wants. A servant would be a dime of a dozen, right, for him. Why would a centurion have such a concern for just one of his servants? He's the master, the servant, sick to death, and yet he shows charity and love for his poor servant. The centurion shows us the duty of masters as we're learning in Colossians. We've learned in Ephesians. We'll learn in Colossians this evening. In chapter 4, how, what the duty of masters are for their servants, even in their afflictions. And yet this Roman soldier did not cast him off. The man couldn't serve. He, he couldn't work anymore. It didn't matter. The centurion is asking, and the Christian asks, what is best for his well-being? He didn't send him off to deteriorate and die this death alone in great pain. He cared for him. In verse 9, his servants, those under his authority, did exactly what he called them to do. And why is that? Because he was so very kind to them and loved them. That's 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 a great teaching lesson for masters or bosses. That's a great lesson for husbands. And parents, why did they do what he called them to do? Because he was loving to them, which made them all the more cheerful to obey him. In Romans 12, it says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. That's what the centurion does. Just like Christ would do unto him, a Gentile. And know in the Scriptures, in the Gospels, Gentiles are looked at almost like dogs. They're called a Gentile dog. Comparison, as the Jews would think of them generally. And so the centurion hears of Jesus... One who is doing only what God can do and is preaching and healing the leper. Does he apply himself? Does the centurion apply himself to the pagan gods of the Romans to heal his servant? No, he doesn't do that. But he applies himself to Christ. There is in the centurion, by God's grace, great evidence of his faith in the power of Jesus Christ to heal. And that he comes to him for the cure of his servant. And how often in in prayer meeting, friends, when we pray privately as well, we give a great concern for the sick and the dying as we should. We see that here. We see it in the last passage as well. We ought to give great concern for such. And yet we not also, why do we not also concern ourselves and apply to Christ for the souls of our children, for the souls of our neighbors, for the souls of those we come in contact with, those who work for us, those in our extended families, those who are spiritually sick with leprosy, spiritually sick with palsy, that leads them to great pain, even the eternal torments, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, as we'll hear this evening. 
So it's our duty to plead to Christ for them, for their souls to be healed of this spiritual painful palsy that will destroy them forever and ever. And if you're not in Christ, it will destroy you as well. And so come to Christ and plead with Him to heal you of your sin and to heal the many who who you know who need healing, body and soul. The centurion's plea is to heal. And that ought to be our plea. We can't stop looking at the centurion here yet because he shows us something that is the fulfillment of the many promises and prophecies of Jesus Christ in the Scriptures. That Christ is proven here, once again, in the Gospels, is shown all over, but here it proves that Christ again is the Messiah because of what the centurion is doing. We know it because the centurion and others are coming to Him. Are gathered themselves to Him. And we haven't really spoken of this yet. Verse 1 of the multitudes, the great multitudes following Him. Jesus comes to Capernaum up on that, uh, up on the north side of the Sea of Galilee and, and they're still following Him. Gathering around Him to hear Him preach with authority. To see if He'll heal and do those wondrous works that He has done. Genesis 49, speaking of the Messiah, Christ Jesus, a prophecy of Him. It says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between His feet, until Shiloh come. And unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. Isaiah 11, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and His rest shall be glorious. The Gentiles shall seek Him. And here is a Gentile, maybe the first one, here is a Gentile seeking Christ. At least the first one in Jesus' ministry. Isaiah 60 And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Friends, the Gentiles were coming to him. That's our passage. And here he was pleading with Christ to heal his servant. He came in faith. The second point this morning is the overwhelming sense of unworthiness. The overwhelming sense of unworthiness. Again, if we were to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, the parallel passage, uh, parallel accounts, the centurion is heralded by the Jewish elders as worthy. This man, Jesus, is, the centurion is worthy for you to heal his servant. It says in Luke 7, and when they came to Jesus, They, the Jewish elders that the centurion sent, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. Right? So he's a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion, and he is worthy, the Jews say. That tells you something about the man. Now when the Romans and Jews did not like each other, the Romans constantly oppressing the Jews and the Jews Jews rebelling, when the Jews come and say, this Gentile centurion is worthy for his servant to be healed. Because he loves the Jews, he even built for us a synagogue that we could worship you, or worship the Lord. He is worthy. He's worthy. Is he worthy, friends? Because when you come into the presence of Christ, Isaiah 6, when you come into the presence of Christ, you know. When you hear of Jesus, who He is, how He speaks, what He's done, you know if you're worthy or not. Verse 7, And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. Consider what Jesus says. How He responds to our pleas. When they come in faith, consider how ready He is 
Jesus is ready to hear you. He's ready to answer you. Say, I will come and heal you. How ready He is to hear the prayer coming from the heart of faith and love to Him. And so again, if you turn to faith in Him, He will hear your plea to save you and answer. Jesus said, I will come and heal Him. The marvelous grace of Jesus Christ. Not, I will come and see Him, but I will come and heal Him. And this shows that He is not a kind Savior. He is. But this does not show that He is a kind Savior, but He is a mighty and almighty Savior. For of Christ, it says, Malachi 4, But unto you that fear My name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in His wings. He comes to heal. He is almighty, awesome healing in His wings. And Christ heals of His own power. That means it's not derived from any other. When today the minister uh, comes to your sick bed, comes to the hospital to visit you to your home, he can only say, I will come and pray for him, for her, for you. Christ says, I will come and heal him. Remember that. Christ can do infinitely more than any pastors or your pastors or your elders can do. Go to Christ because He has the answer. He will answer. He has the power. He can heal body and soul. And yet Christ often goes beyond our expectations, doesn't He? He doesn't just express that He will heal instantly, but that He will come. He's going to come into the house, the home of a Gentile. Enter into the home of a Gentile and then heal a poor servant who's a Gentile. He doesn't just express that He will heal instantly, but He will come. He's saying, I'm ready and I'm willing to go out of my way to come and heal your servant. Gentiles, to enter into that Gentile's home to heal. That, friends, is the humility of Jesus Christ. If we understand the Jewish-Gentile relationship. right, Condescending even to enter into a dog's home of the Gentiles. Willing to heal the Gentile, poor sir. And yet we heard in Isaiah, who, we, who is he? Even in his condescension, who is he? High and lifted up. Holy, holy, holy. And the centurion's response, hearing the word from Jesus, that he'll come and heal the servant. His response, the centurion's response to the humility and the graciousness and the mercy of Christ is what we see in verse 8. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that Thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. The centurion is in a great place in his life. Being a centurion, Roman centurion is not a bad thing uh, in the eyes of the world. Right? You're living a good life. He doesn't have any need of anything in the world. Right? He could just cast the servant out and get a new servant. No problem. But he comes to Christ humbly and as Christ responds saying, I will come and heal him, the centurion knows, verse 9, that even though he has soldiers under him, and whatever He says to them, they do. And for the servants, they, they do the same. There's no questioning the centurion in his daily life. As he's living his life, nobody questions him. And yet, as great of a position as the centurion had, having such authority, 
And hearing Christ's response, we could say, in the presence of Christ. Hearing that promise, I will come and heal him. He knows, the centurion knows, he is immediately, he knows immediately that he is completely unworthy of Christ entering his home. A Gentile's home, of doing such a thing. In fact, the centurion sends the Jewish elders pleading Jesus would come and heal his servant. And then when Christ, in Luke's Gospel, when Christ comes closer to the man's home, he's not there yet, the centurion sends word out again with what we have here. Lord, I am not worthy of of your presence in my home. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. He understood, he saw the mercy and the grace, even to a Gentile dog, as the centurion was. Unclean. Right? To the Jewish mind, not circumcised. Not part of God's people. Not part of God's covenant people. And Christ, the worker of miracles... The divine healer, the one who speaks with the authority of God and not like the scribes. No, I'm not worthy. But speak the word only and my servant will be healed. He knows the authority of Christ. It is divine. Speak the word and he'll be healed. Friends, when we come to worship, when we come into the presence of the Lord, knowing that Christ died for your sins... Believers, to heal you of all your spiritual leprosy, to heal you of all your spiritual palsy. He does not heal all. He does not heal all peoples. Notice that throughout the Scriptures, He does not heal all peoples. We're going to hear more of that this evening. And so for Him to love you, and to show mercy to you, and shower you with His grace, you sinner... And how does Isaiah respond? Woe is me, for I am undone. And I'm a man of unclean lips and dwell among a people of unclean lips. Do you understand how incredibly unworthy you are that Christ would then invite you? He would then invite you to His table to partake with Him and commune with Him. And fellowship with Him. That He invites every single one of you today to come to Him from your sins in faith, trusting, sincerely trusting in Him for your healing, for your deliverance, for your salvation. You see, friends, how faith has a high esteem for Christ. The centurion teaches us this. Has a high esteem, faith has a high esteem for Jesus Christ and a low esteem for oneself. The centurion says, Lord, I am not worthy. I am not worthy of you. And that's what our heart should always be saying. And it should always be towards Christ, Jesus. And yet we learned as well, last Lord's Day, we come too easily to Him. We come too easily to Him, treat Him like He's he's just a chum, a friend. The elders say he's worthy. The Jewish elders say he's worthy. The centurion's worthy. But he knows his heart. He's completely unworthy. Even to have his request spoken of in the presence of Christ. And so consider yourself today. You, who, are, who are you in comparison with the exalted Messiah? Who's sitting on the throne in glory now? Who is the personal Christ, the personal embodiment of majestic authority? All-embracive, almighty power and full of condescending love. A love that bridges every chasm and leaps over every obstacle of race and nationality, right? That's to the Gentiles. And class and culture, even to the poor servant. And who are you? Who are you? Who is this centurion then to cause this kind of master, Christ, to, to come and to commit to an act that he would put that would put him, Christ, put Christ in conflict with the time honored custom of the people, the Jews, according that a Jew does not enter the house of a Gentile lest they become defiled. 
Right, Acts 10. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful fail an all unlawful thing for a man that is Jew, a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation, a Gentile. The Saturian didn't want that for Christ. He was unworthy. He knew he was unworthy for that. He's a military officer. He has to obey his leaders. He has to carry out their orders, but also those he is an authority over. Those under his authority, as all authority that he has been given, he's dependent upon a higher authority for that authority he has, the centurion. They do what he says. His orders are immediately carried out by both soldiers and servants. And the centurion in that reason, if that is true of me, I've been given my authority down from the higher ups in the Roman Empire. And people under me obey me. And he reasons from that. If that's true of me, then for Christ, Christ, the great and almighty one who speaks with everlasting authority, who exercises independent authority. Nobody gave him such authority, right? He has that authority forever. And holding the universe in his all-powerful grasp. As he not only is the creator, but the sustainer. That he can command and whatever is uh, uh, of his desires will be done. Right? Whatever he says, the sickness to go, it's gone. We saw that in the leper. We see it here. When he calms the storm, it ceases. Right? You're under the shadow of death. You're in your sins under condemnation. Then come humbly and plead with Christ. Lord, I'm not worthy that Thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and this servant will be healed. Psalm 10 says, Lord, Thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause Thine ear to hear. Genesis 32, I'm not worthy of the least of all the mercies of all the truth which Thou hast showed unto Thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Luke 15, And am no more worthy to be called Thy son. Make me as one of Thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, the prodigal son, right? And But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And in thy sight, and in no more worthy to be called thy son. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he still called him his son. Verse 13 of our passage. It says, And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way. And as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Remember in, uh, remember in verse 3, uh, Jesus put forth His hand and touched the leper, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. That to show forth not only His powerful Word, but His incredible, infinite purity and love. But now, in our passage, to show even more authority that He has, that He is divine, that He is God, He is the God-man, to show that forth in His Word, He spoke it. Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so, it, so be it done unto thee. And His servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Jesus is not in the house with the man. He's outside of the house, right? He's a ways off. And he speaks, and the man's healed. Do you believe? Psalm 107. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. John 6. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. His Word is living. 
Psalm 33, for He spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. Ecclesiastes 8, where the word of a king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? So the faith of the unworthy Gentile, the centurion, the Lord Jesus, working that faith and humility in him by his Holy Spirit, therefore answers and speaks healing to the servant of the man with the deadly palsy. And immediately the servant was healed. Immediately the servant would have gotten up. No more pain. No more tears of pain. And isn't that what you desire yourselves? Be healed. For Christ promises to all who come to Him by faith, He says in Revelation 21, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And He said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Why was there healing? Because there was faith, the Lord granted, and God spoke. And so, friends, you are to come and believe on Christ who so speaks for your healing. The third and final point the Gentiles and covenant breakers. The Gentiles and covenant breakers. This links us to what we've been learning in Isaiah and what we'll hear more of expounding upon this this evening in God's providence at the end of Isaiah 6. The Gentiles and covenant breakers. It says, verse 10, When Jesus heard it, He marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Jesus marveled, not as if it were new or surprising to Him, for He knows all things. He ordains all things, even this response of the centurion. He knew the centurion's faith. How? He gave him the faith, right? As we learn in John 6. It's a gift to Him by His Spirit, by His grace. Ephesians 2. Right? But here, as an example to His disciples, the people who are following Him, and us today, to testify of the excellence of the centurion's faith as an example of what our faith ought to look like, in in part. How rare and uncommon, even among the Jews, this faith was. And yet here it's found in a Gentile. This faith, genuine faith, wonderful Think Jews, right? This is what Jesus is saying to them. Think Jews of your history. Please think of your history. Go look back to the Word, the Scriptures. Think of Rahab, the harlot. Ruth, the Moabitess, Gentile. Both of them Gentiles, right? But they had faith in Christ. They had faith in the Lord. It's not the worldly pomp and honors and achievements you need, friends. It's the beauty of holiness that comes by faith in Christ. Because without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. That's what Christ marvels at here. He teaches us what is good. And how did the faith come but through God's grace? Grace, the wonders of grace should affect us. This is we're going to learn this evening how it comes. The grace should affect us more than the wonders of nature and providence. Right? Seeing the great mountains and all their beauty. Right? Dave and Patty went out to Colorado. They saw the mountains. Some of you go to Colorado sometimes. Or to other places that have mountains. You see the mountains and all their beauty. You know, power of the seas, destruction, how destructive they are. Or can be an experience of great storms that you've experienced. Tornadoes, the thunderstorms that are so scary sometimes. God's grace should affect us so much more than those things of nature in this world. Remember when the when a, a great bolt of lightning strikes near your home and you shakes the earth, right? 
And that affects you. His grace should affect you way more than that. Often it doesn't. But admiring the faith of others should also work and always work unto the glory of God in Christ. When you see faith in someone else, that should affect you as well. To look to Christ. That He would do marvelous things because He is the one who does marvelous things. Psalm 98, O sing unto the Lord a new song, for He hath done marvelous things. His right hand and His holy arm have gotten Him the victory. And so Jesus turned to those multitudes following Him and said what? He said, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. The centurion had a great faith, is what Jesus is saying. Not because of the centurion. He can do nothing of himself, but it was a gift of God. He had a great faith, the grace of God. But this was not uncommon. This was not common, excuse me. This was not common even amongst the Jews of that day. When Jesus was right there in their faces, preaching and teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and then healing the leper, now healing the servant, in the land, preaching, doing these great works of divine power by His grace and authority, but not even they believed seeing these things and hearing these things. Even hearing Jesus speak in his in their presence not the Jews what does the king of all creation want from you what does he want to see in you he wants to see in you faith even if that faith is like the grain uh, seed of a, uh, like a mustard seed right that's small minuscule even if it's so small. Because even that is good in the sight of Christ. But not even the Jews. Many of the Jews had that. They didn't. They rebelled against Him. What about the poor widow who cast in her two mites? Why did she do it? Because she had a great faith. That the Lord would provide. And that He was the Lord. And we should do that. And yet here is a Gentile with a great faith. The Jews would be tempted, the multitudes would be tempted to harden their hearts concerning Christ. And uh, because of this Gentile, and they might hold a grudge against Him, that Christ would heal a Gentile servant. But this speaks all the more to the shame of the Jews. To whom pertaineth what? Romans 9. We'll hear more about this this evening. Who are Israelites, the Jews, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, etc., etc., right? The Jews were by birth born into, like you children, born into the covenant people of God. They're in the kingdom, visibly, outwardly, here on earth. Administratively, right? As we've studied And so they have all these outward blessings. Just like all you children and all who are in the church. We have the Word preached, read, sung, Lord's Day after Lord's Day. And many other things that we could go on and on about. And we've already studied. And so you have all the assistance. You have all the encouragements granted to you by the Lord unto, it should be unto faith. But when the Son of Man comes and He finds no faith, He finds no fruit. You go back to John 15, and they are cut off from the vine. And so the centurion comes showing His faith in God by His grace. And Jesus uh, turns to the multitudes after healing the, the man, the servant with palsy, and he turns to the multitudes of the Jews following him and he confronts them with their lack of faith. Romans 11. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, the Jews, and might save some. Jesus has come to save even those among the Jews and to use a Gentile now. Jesus does, showing us that more, uh, expounding for us, giving us more clarity to what Romans 11 means. 
Right here, he teaches us as he speaks to the Jews, standing among them, which have very little faith, or no, you know, most of them have no faith, and to use a Gentile, like Romans 11 teaches us, to move the Jews to jealousy and provoke them to see what they're missing in Him. To see what they're missing in Christ. They could have the healing of their souls and their bodies if they would just come to faith in Him. They would just repent of their sins and believe on Christ. And so Jesus continued speaking to drive home the point, saying that this is everything that was promised to you in the Scriptures about the Gentiles and you long ago. Right? That's verses 11 and 12. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, and the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is saying this was always the plan. This was always the plan from the very beginning. You go to Abraham, the covenant with Abraham. You go to Adam, even in the garden. That's his plan. The seed of the woman, right? That's His plan. It's always been His plan from the beginning. The Gentiles were always to be part of the kingdom. It's not just the Jews. It's always to include Gentiles. Many will come from the east and the west, not of Israel, right? From the other nations. And and sit reigning with Christ along with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, you remember, we've learned, is the father of the multitudes, not just the Jews. Father of many nations, not just the Jews. And it's all who come to him by faith, we learn in Galatians 3. Genesis 22, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed, Abraham, as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Zechariah 2 as well. And there's we could go on, and we could be here all day looking at passages that talk about all the nations coming to Christ. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. This was a sign, friends, right here at the beginning of his ministry. Preached the Sermon on the Mount. He begins healing people. The Gentiles here, the centurion. The Gentiles coming to faith in Christ, being joined to the Lord. You go back in the Old Testament. Rahab, speaking of those two ladies we spoke of before, Rahab was a sign of what Christ would do. Ruth was a sign of this promise fulfilled of the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. And so, as this, uh, there's a whole host of scriptures, of prophecies, promises that include the Gentiles in the kingdom. But the children of the kingdom, verse 12, the children of the kingdom. It says, but the children of the kingdom. He's speaking of the Jews, of course. In contrast, verse 11, to the Gentiles. And so, He's speaking to everybody here in the church today. And He's speaking to you children and adults and you who profess faith. He's talking to you here. If you don't have faith, then you are like these Jews in verse 12. These Jews are children of the kingdom. Born into the covenant people of God, like all of the children here. Born into the people of God. And so the sign was applied to them. Circumcision, right? And today, baptism. And he's warning the Jews born into the kingdom, visible on earth. Part of the covenant people, the community of God's people on earth. And yet because they continue in unbelief, contrary to this Gentile centurion who believed in faith by God's grace, 
Those unbelieving covenant people of the Jews being covenant breakers because they didn't have faith shall be cast out into outer darkness. They will be condemned to eternal damnation in hell forever. And there in hell shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Remember for those who have faith, we read in Revelation 21, tears wiped away. All the tears, the pain, all of it's gone. But for those with no faith, who rebel against Christ, who rebel against Jehovah, disbelieving, weeping and weeping and weeping, unending forever and ever and ever. And your body will not cease to give tears. There will be tears unending. Knowing. Knowing. You will know. If you don't have faith and this is what happens to you. You will know every day, if we can put it in terms of day, you will know for all of eternity that you rebelled. You rebelled against the Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ the King. And now being afflicted with those pains of hell forever and ever. Even and including, and we could go on and on with other scriptures that talk about hell as well, but here, including the gnashing of your teeth. You know when you sleep, or some of you sleep, you grind your teeth, or sometimes you grind your teeth in the middle of the day if you have a really bad habit, right? And you get headaches, or your teeth deteriorate, your dentist, you know, scolds you because that's happening. But if you continue, those teeth come to nothing, but not in hell. Continual gnashing of your teeth. Pain. And that will always be there forever and ever and ever. We learn in other places the worm does not die. We could study that more as well, but that's referring to your conscience, the guilt of your conscience. You know when you sin, you feel guilty. All of us, right? We sin, we feel guilty. We do something wrong, we feel guilty. Consider, friends, unending, never-ceasing guilt in your conscience to the fullest forever and ever and ever. That's hell. Eating away at you. And the fire is not quenched. Burning. But your body's not consumed. Forever. I remember when I was in high school, I was burnt because I was stupid, playing with gasoline, excruciating pain. I had to scrub the dead skin off my body. Right? If you've been burned, you know you burn on the stove or something like that. You know the pain. Think of that all over your body forever and ever and ever, never ceasing. That's hell. Covenant breakers are sentenced to an eternal condemnation of hell forever. Matthew 3 says, And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water under repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And with fire. Covenant people receiving the promise of the Holy Ghost, believe, and fire to those who do not believe. Hell, fire, and brimstone. There's a reason that's in the scriptures. Matthew 7. What did we learn when we were there? Part of the kingdom. You're part of the covenant people of God. You're in the church. Covenant children. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? And in Thy name have cast out devils. And in Thy name done many wonderful works. And then I, Jesus, I will profess, I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And so Jesus Christ, these Jews, He was confronting with the centurion's Gentiles' faith. Because they boasted, oh, well, we're children of the kingdom. We're fine. We're in the church. We're fine. We're children of Israel. We're children of Abraham. Our father Isaac and Jacob. 
And Jesus says, the kingdom will be taken from you so that they'll be, like Hosea 1 says, they will be not my people, receiving no mercy. In the great day, it will not avail men and women to have been children of the kingdom, whether as Jews or as Christians, so-called Christians, professing Christians, for men will then be judged, not by what they were called, but by what they were, who they were in their heart, and their wills, and their affections, and their mind, truly. If children indeed, then heirs. But many are children in profession, in the family, but not actually of it. That will come short of the inheritance that God promises in Christ. Being born of professing parents declares us children of the kingdom. Outwardly, covenant children, you have the sign put upon you. As covenant children in baptism. But if we rest in that and that only and have nothing else to show for heaven but that, we are cast out of the kingdom. That's what Jesus says. And so we must turn to Christ again by faith. Faith in the promises that were so often proclaimed to us and to you children, to all of us. Turn, friends, to Christ in faith to be healed of your paralyzed souls covered and filled with sin. Turn to Christ today for salvation and be healed completely by His Word. Come in faith, pleading. Lord, speak the Word only and I shall be healed. And what great promises we have. Romans 11. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it. And the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened, that they may not see, and bow down their back alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles. For to provoke them, the Jews, to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world, to the Gentiles, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh, the Jews, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, the Gentiles, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? The Jews will have life, but also it goes on in Romans 11 to say what? That the Jews coming in faith to Christ will provoke the Gentiles all the more to turn to Christ by faith. What great promises we have of the Lord and those who will be saved. And so with the hardening of the Jews, bringing faith and salvation to the Gentiles, to move the Jews to jealousy, that so great a number of the Jews would soften their hearts and come to faith in Christ. And yet in there, there is a warning. There's a warning to the Gentiles. That's all of us or most of us here. Remember, remember, and take it to complete heart. Your complete unworthiness of being a servant and being named a servant of Christ Jesus. Because just as He grafted you in, He can take you out if you don't have faith and produce fruit. And so today and every day, turn to Him by faith and produce good works, good fruit by His grace. For what a great and gracious and merciful Savior, worthy Savior we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.
Our Father, we're thankful once again for Your Son. For He is worthy. And we come confessing our complete unworthiness to even hear Your Word. And Father, You have granted it to us out of Your grace. Grant us faith too. Grant us repentance unto life. Grant us sanctification. Grant us to be glorified with Christ lest we experience the weeping and gnashing of teeth where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Father, save us from what our sins deserve and grant us the righteousness of Christ alone by faith. We pray in His name. Amen.